1: Hello and welcome to getting in a college coach conversation i'm sally ganga and I hope you're enjoying the warmer weather that at least we're seeing here on the east coast i'm really excited for our show today our second segment is going to be with Lori peltier one of our college finance experts who will be telling me about the good the bad and the ugly of parents taking out loans to pay for their students college. Uh, the, in the last segment, Mary Sue Yoon, a college coach veteran, and I will be discussing how to develop your preliminary college list. But first, and I'm very excited because we have a special guest, Joe Ciofalo. Ciofalo thank you. <laughs> he tried to help me before this the show started with the pronunciation. I'll have him say it for you so we can actually get it right. Um, Joe is a former public high school counselor with over 20 years of experience in public school administration. So great background in education, but now owns a wrestling academy. So I think this is going to be a really nice opportunity for us to kind of um, interview someone who can talk to us about whether an athletics academy is going to be good for your student, because Joe's going to talk to us about, certainly about his own academy, but also, when are sports academies the right place for your student? So, Joe, let's um, first welcome.
2: Thank you. I'm sorry. It's Jamie.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God.
2: Jamie Seal, Follow
1: Jamie I'm sorry it's it's right here on the screen I don't know and actually in my notes it even says Jamie so I don't know where Joe
2: came from too many O's in my last name
1: yeah yeah I think so I got distracted well thank you for being kind and pointing it out to me I appreciate it you're welcome all right Jamie so (laughs) so let's start out with maybe you can tell our listeners what sports academies are not everybody might even know
2: great thanks Sports academies are not what they may appear to be uh, on the surface. A specialized sports academy for typically for middle and high school students is designed for those students who at that age have already um, exhibited the the ability to compete at a very high level, uh, which is way above their local uh, school and recreation level. Uh, these are students who uh, student athletes who will compete on a national and international level, and who uh, are in need of the time, not just for their training, but also for the traveling that's involved with their competitions. Um, so, if, if, you know, people are very familiar, I'm sure, with many of the elite gymnastics academies because um, gymnastics is a high profile. Uh, sport uh, the Bella Caroli uh, Ranch, which is is providing the gymnasts with their um, gymnastics instruction and also academics. Uh, since then, there have been uh, several um, sports academies that have uh, been established over the past few years. There's basketball, there's uh, equestrian, tennis, skiing, hockey. Um, I was. Happy to hear that we were the first for wrestling, um, but, but there's we're not the only ones out there that that are um, doing this for a uh, you know, unique population of students. Mm-hmm.
1: So just so people have a sense, you and I kind of chatted. We chatted earlier and you were telling me about one of your students. Like, let's kind of give an example of the kind of student mm-hmm. who really needs a sports academy for whom a traditional middle school and high school is not going to work for them.
2: Yes, we have a a freshman, uh, grade nine. He was a wrestler. He was enrolled in our academy last year in uh, grade eight plus. And grade eight plus is the uh, year after the traditional eighth grade and before ninth grade uh, that many athletes will uh, utilize that year to not only improve themselves athletically, Uh, Give themselves a year to mature physically mature, um, you know, psychologically, social, emotionally, but also to get in advanced coursework so that they are confident when they go to high school that they're going to be well prepared, especially because uh, these are students who are going to have a lot less time with. Their uh, their teachers uh, and a lot less time available for additional supports. So our our uh, young man he is in grade nine. He uh, just returned from Romania. Um, he's a Greco-Roman wrestler. For those who may not be familiar, there's three styles of wrestling. Uh, we're not talking about the professional wrestling that you see on TV. Uh, <laughs> it's a uh, there's scholastic. Style, which is called a folk style, which is what you typically see at a recreation or high school uh, wrestling match. And then there's a uh, freestyle and Greco-Roman freestyle and Greco-Roman are the two styles that are used internationally. The United States, we have to be different. The United States is the only one that uses folk style. Mm-hmm. So for a young man who's interested strictly in Greco-Roman wrestling, he has very little options to train and compete. Um, and he needs a specialized program. So he you know, made the commitment with his family to to commit to Greco Roman style of wrestling. He just returned from Romania. Um, I'm very impressed by his level of responsibility and maturity. He he flew to Romania by himself. Um, he's 15 years old and met with his coaches there. And unfortunately the trip had to be cut short by a, a few days because it, it was a they're traveling from Romania, Serbia, um throughout parts of Eastern Europe. One of their tournaments along their along their scheduled stops was in uh, Moldova, which is right next to Ukraine.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: they would not let them go. So um they had to schedule flights to come home a bit earlier, which we all felt much better about. And anyway, um we came home safely. The, Performed very well uh, at that tournament. Um, I met with him yesterday because he. We need to go through his course selection for the second semester of his freshman year. Uh, which, you know, being in an athletic academy like ours, he has the flexibility to take a couple weeks off when he's uh, traveling, or he could take the laptop with him. As long as he has Wi-Fi, he can do his work uh, remotely. Um, his, his semesters could run from April into August if he has a, a month where he'll have a lot of travel in the winter. So he, um, you know, we met yesterday and I asked him if he has anything scheduled coming up and now he's scheduled to go to Sweden. Um, so he's, you know, he travels to Wisconsin. He travels to the U S Olympic training center in, uh, in Colorado, um, and, and all for, the purpose of greco-roman style wrestling Um, so he's a perfect example of the type of student athlete that needs and benefits from a specialized athletic academy
1: Mm -hmm. so really the flexibility seems like a large piece of this um of why a student would want to attend you know and and uh one of the things i liked by the way this is a little bit of a departure but i think um, from what we've been talking about, but I think it's important. Like to me, when I hear about these academies, I worry about the academics, Mm. right? that they're gonna be second. And one of the things that I thought was great when you talked to me is how you, you said that you didn't think tests, like basically it shouldn't be about the grade, it should be about the learning. Mm -hmm. And so if a student doesn't learn something they need to learn, they're gonna keep doing it until they learn it. You're not gonna just pass them through. So let's talk about the academics and how you make sure that the academics are still there, even for a student like the one you're describing where athletics is probably like his biggest focus.
2: that's a great question and uh, as an educator who also has 30 years of of coaching experience um, I started out as a special education teacher and then moved into administration for school counseling uh, special services and uh, curriculum instruction over the years and the one thing that always frustrated me and still frustrates me to this day is how the a curriculum map is designed for 180, 185 days to traditional school year where the teachers are pretty much on a schedule. And when I've done professional development sessions for, for teachers, I, I always give you create the visual of them um, being you know, public, public transportation uh, bus drivers. Where uh, I'm in New Jersey, 10 miles from New York. So <clears throat> there are a lot of people who commute to New York City and we'll often see new jersey transit bus pull over to the bus stop and it'd be a long line of commuters and half of them would get on the bus and the bus would drive away because that bus driver has a schedule he has to keep keep up with and they would have to wait for the next bus and i and i tell teachers we don't want to be those bus drivers where you know we'll pull up to the stop and then we're only going to be able to take in x number of students because we're just going to keep moving and leave the others behind and i think that happens far too often um I've always had it, also, always had an issue with grading, the grading system that's utilized in our country and how it's used to measure uh, achievement and to create this caste system of um, you know, honors and uh, weighted GPAs. And I, I believe in grades being used to measure learning. And, uh, you know, if the student's not showing growth and not showing that they've mastered, the standard, proficient in that standard, then we're not going to continue. There's no sense moving forward. And, and one example I can give, especially in mathematics, um, our students come in and they are just given a grade grade level uh, assessment. And every single kid had the, the most recent years worth of skills developed seventh grade standards eighth grade standards it was the second third fourth grade decimals fractions percents that they didn't do well on because they usually stop they don't do they teach it and then they pretty much stop using it because they're going to move on to teaching um learning new topics and Mm -hmm. it's a skill and i give them the example of it you know that would be like us teaching a third grader, a specific wrestling move. He gets to practice it for a couple of days and then never uses it again. But five years later in a, in a tournament telling him all right, you need to use that move now to win. Mm -hmm. It's not going to, that skill's not going to be there. So um, what, you know, what we do, it's not easy. um, What we do is try to make sure that everyone is remediated uh, before we actually start our uh, year of instruction. So our our first month of the school year, um, about the the first six weeks actually of the school year are spent on skill development and it serves us well because students who need the remediation will have time to be remediated and it also serves as the amount of time for our students to prepare for the private high school admissions test, Mm. uh, which is also has a lot of basic skills included. So, you know, we feel that's valuable time. It's not really teaching to the test as much as it is preparing them for what's going to be coming next. Um, and then we're able to, right after that the test is, is administered, we're able to then go through our, our um, the coursework, understanding that students may be on different levels of of understanding, um, but most of, you know, we teach, um, you know not so much to the the book or to the curriculum but based on the group's ability to you know progress if there's one student who's struggling that that's a student who will ask you know stay after today you know this, the, our day ends at 3:30 we would ask um the parents to let them stay with us for an hour coming on a, on a weekend for an hour um which is you know, all part of our program. If everyone's moving along, then, then we'll be able to move forward. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our eight grade eight plus program is designed uh, to, to prepare students for the the high school admissions test and to prepare them for what life in high school will be like, especially in a private high school as, as an athlete. So um, we make sure they are introduced to biology, chemistry, physics, they're not taking the full course, um, but they're introduced to it. So the first time they sit down in those classrooms, they're not um, completely you know, lost mm-hmm. because we know that once they, you know, when they're in high school, the demands placed upon them as athletes is to uh, be sometimes extreme, waking up 6 a.m. for a morning workout, lift uh, strength training, and then go through their school day and then, you know, practice again after school into the early evening, traveling to tournaments and all that time maintaining their body weight because they have to be a specific weight. It's, it's a challenge. So uh, we're working on developing all of those skills to help them be successful um, mm-hmm. when they get to high school.
1: OK, great. And then um, we're running short on time, but I definitely want to ask why a student would want to stay at a more traditional middle school or high school, like even if they really like, they're a top athlete, but what might, you know, they could, in many ways they could probably use mm-hmm. the benefits of an academy like yours, but what's a reason where they should, why they should stay with a kind of traditional school.
2: The, the, the most typical um response that we receive, uh, for, you know, when students are asking about um our program is we ask every parent, every student, you know, the same set of questions in a conversation. And the one that really stands out the most is, are you going to be able to handle the rigor and the requirements of this program, which is going to cause you to not have a lot of very little time for your friends at home, you know, very little time for uh, a social life. You know, we, every uh, minute of your day is valuable. And we make sure that the parents and students understand that this is not for everyone. And you may be a, a very good student athlete, but if you're if you're going to have a difficult time um, letting go of the the prom, the dances, um, we hold the graduation ceremony. But you know, if it's going to be difficult to not be able to go to those. Uh, high school trips or the, all all of the, you know, Friday night football games, then it's, it's not for them. And typically that's when the parents would, you know, the the student athlete would look at the mother and father and and I could tell And we, we let them know, like, if you have any doubts, it's not for you. Like, we don't want you to have buyer's remorse. We don't want you to, you know, be with us in November, uh, feel like you're missing out on so much. You know, our student athletes are the one common trait that they have is that the social life, the, you know, the social media, the social life comes, you know, three, four down, down the row of their priorities. It's, it's their academics, their, their, their athletic training, their family, and then, um, you know, fourth would be friends.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's probably a good thing for your typical high level athlete to think about anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're going to succeed at that level, you're not gonna have as much mm-hmm. time for these traditional things no matter where you are. Yeah. So
2: we just yeah. met with a father and a young man, he's multiple New Jersey state champion in youth wrestling. And and I asked him that question, how are you gonna handle not having friends to sit with, you know, you know, during a school day, walking around the hallways? And he goes, I'm looking forward to that. He goes, because none of the people I'm with in school are like me. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't think like me. They don't have a schedule like me. He. He. He's like. I'm often. I feel like I'm always saying no to do things because I have to train or I have to. You know, uh, do extra. Spend extra time at the at the gym. So, that's the type of student athlete we're looking for who knows walking into it what what the sacrifices that are being made.
1: Okay. All right. Well, I think that's great. Thank you so much, Jamie. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Thanks for this opportunity.
1: Absolutely. Stay
0: well. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everybody, and welcome, Lori. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm happy to be here. All right. So this session is called the good, the bad and the ugly of parents borrowing to pay for college. So what's the good part of it? I think most people would think it's the bad and the ugly when it comes to debt. Right. So let's talk about the good part, though.
4: Well, the good part is that almost everyone can borrow. There are a variety of choices between the federal government, the state government, and private loans that parents can choose from. And they can borrow the full amount of college if they wanted to, all the way up to the cost of attendance, which includes tuition, fees, room and board, books, supplies, transportation. So, if they need the money, if they don't have their funds to send their child to their dream school, if they want to, um, most parents can borrow the full amount. Um, From that cost of attendance, they would subtract any aid that the student received. So, if they got a scholarship or, or other types of aid, that would be reducing the cost of attendance. But beyond that, they can borrow the full amount.
1: Mm hmm. mm -hmm. Right. And of course, we all know that when paying for college, there is often a shortfall. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's probably um, a lot of why parents have to borrow in the first place. But why can't the student borrow for their education? Why can't the students just do it all?
4: Right. That would be nice. And and a lot of people, (laughs) that's a big question we get. So students can borrow some money from the federal government but it's just not enough. The federal government allows a student to borrow a limited amount each year that adds up to $27,000 over a four-year bachelor's degree. Uh, So they set limits on it. They don't want the student to get too far in debt, knowing that they have to pay it back. So, you know, what kind of income is a student going to have at the age of 21 22 23 mm-hmm. to pay back this amount if they're borrowing the full cost of attendance which could be $75,000 in some cases that's just too high of a debt mm-hmm. on and that's on the federal loans on the private loans the banks or uh, lending institutions would look at you know is this 18 year old Really capable of paying this back. So they don't want um, to take the risk of lending money to someone who can't pay it back. So that's why the student loans are limited. Um, They can take advantage of them first, but in most cases, the parents still have to borrow the excess.
1: Mm -hmm. All right. So these sound pretty flexible, the parent loans, and very helpful in certain situations. So, what is the bad part of them?
4: The bad part is um, the interest. Interest is accruing from day one. Um, so the amount you borrow can expand pretty quickly um, over time. And because parents are borrowing some large amounts based on the cost of college, they are, are getting into debt that is ballooning and, and keep, you know, expanding. Right at the same time, they're probably looking at maybe retiring or paying off their mortgage, or, you know, trying to get out of other debt. So it's the interest that really um, makes it bad. Um, And there's really no way to get out of it. These loans, you know, you can't just ignore them, they're going to affect your credit if you miss payments.
1: Well not only that, you can't declare bankruptcy around them, right? Like for almost right. any other kind of debt, you can declare bankruptcy. So okay. I always like to make sure people know this you will be paying this back. There's no getting around it. It's really important right. to note that. Right. Um, so and and yeah, so what are I mean honestly, this is to me a sticking point. Um, although maybe you'll correct me on this. like I get really frustrated because student loan interest rates are so much higher than general than interest rates that i see and i think that's wrong i just i really think it's wrong so maybe you can tell me like what are the current interest rates on these parent loans so the um, primary loan that people hear about
4: first is the federal parent plus loan the federal government is offering this loan to parents at 6.2 percent interest um the state-sponsored loans, like New Jersey and Massachusetts, have a state loan um, that is sponsored through those states that is about 3% to 6%, depending okay. on the type of repayment you choose. And then the private loans really vary depending on the borrower's credit score. So it could be as low as 2% for a variable rate if you have excellent credit. could be as high as 10% for a fixed rate if you have not so great credit. So they'll lend to you, but they will keep bumping up the interest rate depending on your credit score. Mm-hmm. And that's where we, I really see it, you know, getting into trouble for, for people.
1: Right. I can imagine if you have a 10% interest rate and then maybe you lose your job, so you can't pay for a while that it just keeps compounding. Right. So people can get into pretty big trouble that way. On the other hand, those 3% interest loans from the state, that sounds like a decent deal. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah. it's not too bad, and it's not far off from what people are getting on, say, a car loan or a mortgage. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Um, So do these loans charge points like a mortgage does?
4: Not points per se, but some of them do have an origination fee, a fee that's charged upfront to process and secure the loan that is factored in before interest starts accruing. So on the federal uh, loan for the parents, the PLUS loan, it's 4.22%. So if a parent borrowed $10,000, they would immediately owe $10,422. Mm-hmm. So it, it can really add on to the cost of borrowing. Your APR is what they call it. Um, so look for those origination fees if you are shopping around for a loan.
1: Mm-hmm. Good. All right. So we've already covered the good and the bad parts. So what's the ugly part? What's, what's worse than the bad parts we've talked about? <laughs> Well, what I see
4: is parents wanting to do what's what they think is best for their child. And, you know, college seems to be, you know, the dream at whatever cost and going into debt without really looking at all the consequences. Should they borrow? Can they afford to borrow? Are they looking at all four years or more of the education Um, or are they just focusing on year number one? oh, I can borrow this. This is one year, but you multiply that by four mm-hmm. and you multiply it by every child they have. If you have three kids and you're borrowing 20000 a year for each kid, mm-hmm. that's $240,000. Yeah. And sometimes I've met with parents who you really have to spell it out for them to realize that because they're so focused on Senior year, making that decision. Freshman year is coming. You know, let's let's do this. This is exciting, and not looking at the long term of how much that could really be. It could be the cost of, of a mortgage. It's like having a, a second house that you don't live in. You know, mm-hmm. it's it can really add up, um, and it can affect the parent's ability to retire. It can affect their credit score. Um, it can affect, you know, their mortgage if they're, you know, really strapped and then, you know, so they end up, um, really juggling their finances.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As you said, when they're trying to get close to retirement too, I mean, that's pretty challenging. So, um, I mean, I speak as someone who took out loans, but I graduated with less than 20,000, um, I always want to make it clear. I think these schools education is worth it, but not 240,000. You need to look at your plan again. Um, are parents ever denied a loan for their child's education? And, and what happens if that if they are denied a loan? Right, I I have seen loan denials.
4: Um, the Plus Loan has a credit check process where you can borrow the money. They'll check your credit to see that you don't have any bad marks on your credit. So they're not looking for a specific score. They're looking to see if you have a bankruptcy or foreclosure in like the last five to seven years. So if you have had that happen to you, you would get denied the the Plus Loan and what happens then is the student can borrow a little bit more on their loan. So it's a little bit flexible with the federal government. They say, okay, your parents couldn't borrow for you. So now you can borrow $4,000 more on the student loan. But again, they limit it to $4,000 extra. On the private and the state loans, um, the state loans you could get denied and, and that's it. There's no other recourse. On the private loans, they won't really deny you, but they'll keep bumping up the interest rate. So if you're at risk of, of being a risky person to lend to, they'll say, sure, we'll give you a loan. It's going to be a 10% interest. And and some people do go for it because again, they want to be able to send their child to college. So they they'll take on this loan with a very high interest rate. I have seen some other situations where a grandparent might co-sign for a student in the grandparents on a fixed income of Social Security or something. Mm-hmm. And then this is the really ugly part. If the grandparent passes away that student is then on that loan by themselves. And sometimes the lender will say, okay, we want that loan paid back right away. You lost your cosigner. So you either need to find another cosigner or pay it back right away. So it doesn't, some of these loans, especially the private ones, don't have that safety net that the federal Mm -hmm. loans have where you can put things on hold, you can pause it for certain reasons. The private loans that you could get approved pretty easy but a higher interest rate don't have those safety nets.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what other things, I mean, that's a lot to think about already. Uh, What other things should parents consider before borrowing? So one question we get a lot is about, do you borrow for all four years
4: or do you borrow annually? It is an annual process because you don't know your cost for the next year. Your child could move off campus. So they could change from a dormitory to an apartment or a meal plan to not a meal plan, or they could transfer schools. So you do borrow each year. So your credit is going to get checked each year. So, so something to think about is that if you are going to borrow, make sure your credit is as good as it possibly can before you borrow. So if you you are a parent of a junior, you know, what is your credit score? Is there something you could do now to improve your credit score by the time you need to borrow? Um, I would also think about looking at all options, you know, turn over every stone for financial aid, for scholarships, for less expensive schools, you know, applying, it comes back to the list, you know, applying to colleges that you can afford, uh, just in case, having that conversation with the student, having a conversation with your kids early on about what you're willing to take on uh, financially for college so that they don't get their hopes up that they could go anywhere, regardless of the cost. Um, yeah, and just looking at all your options, including a payment plan. You know, mm-hmm. could you afford to get through college without borrowing and paying on a monthly basis instead?
1: hmm okay. All right, a lot to think about, <laughs> for sure. Thank you so much, Lori. Oh, you're welcome. All right, so we're going to be taking a break, but when we return, I'll be talking with Mary Suyun about constructing your initial college list.
0: When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit getintocollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. You are listening to getting in a college coach conversation to submit a question for an upcoming listener Q and a segment, or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to getting at gmail.com. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back everyone. And welcome Mary Sue. Hello. Hello. Thanks so much <laughs> for being on the show. Um, all right. So we are talking about how to create a preliminary college list. Um, so what's like, when should people start thinking about that? What should their initial moves be? I mean, I know my opinion and, and by the way, second grade is not what I, either of us are going to recommend. Although <laughs> like do not start talking about Stanford in elementary school, right. not a good idea, but like, yep realistically on the early end, when should people start thinking about it? What can they do to sort of help save some time down the road and some stress without actually adding stress in the moment too much?
3: Yeah, so um, true story. When I worked in the Barnard admissions office, I did actually get a call from a parent of a three-year-old who <laughs> wanted to know that's too early. <laughs> but um, I think that the admissions process, you know, can be feel really overwhelming, and there's so many college choices out there, um, and it's it can feel like how how do we even know how to start this process? And so my advice uh, to families is to you know, maybe start the process in 10th grade, end of 10th grade, beginning of 11th grade, maybe that summer in between. Um, But very casually, not sort of with an expectation of every college we're going to visit is going to be on that eventual list. It's um, more, let's just see kind of what's out there. Um, I think that a lot of high school students form their initial opinions about college from their friends and family Mm -hmm. members and from older people that they know who have gone to college um, or are considering college. And truly, they may not know what it's like to be on a college that's, you know, a 2,000 person college in a suburban or rural environment versus a 30,000 person college that's in the middle of New York City, for example. Mm -hmm. So just kind of seeing what's out there and seeing what does a college environment look like, um, I think is a good way to start the process. And that's how I advise uh, the families I work with, um, is, you know, maybe just start with three to five visits, um, but particularly pick schools that are different from each other, so that, you know, it's not just seeing every school that has similar characteristics, but, but challenge your assumptions a little, um, try a few different types of environments, and then reflect on what did you like about uh, those schools, what didn't you like, what stood out about you, what it stood out about them. And also realize that, you know, if you do start the process kind of end of 10th grade, you may mature and and change your preferences over the last two years of high school. Um, Having worked at a women's college, we often found that students in 10th grade didn't always want to look at women's colleges initially. And then in 12th grade decided they did want to look at women's colleges and Mm -hmm. that's okay. So it is okay for those preferences to evolve, but, um, I think start the process just by kind of sampling what's Mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And I tell students, I mean, personally, when I send students out there early, I try and push them to not think like, yes, no, about the Mm -hmm. colleges. There's a certain impulse to want to just make a decision. Mm -hmm. I tell them instead to, yeah, like think about, even if you think you don't like a school, try and find something that you do like about it. Mm -hmm. Like push yourself to think about the different elements, different qualities of schools um, the other thing too, is that sometimes students really like, I mean, you bring this up with the women's colleges. Students have a hypothesis, you know, they mm-hmm. have like, they want public university that's co-ed that mm-hmm. sounds like more fun to them. And then like they visit those schools and they're like, Oh my God. you know. Or, right. or some of them are like, Oh my God, this is wonderful. And I love it. Right. And this, I want to be one in a crowd. And then other students are like, I'm, I'm, terrified and this is not what i want to do at all Mm -hmm. i had one student call a school like that disgusting which i was like (laughs) that's "That's a little little, yeah that's a little harsh (laughs) like let's stay away from those kinds of adjectives about any but i think what he was just responding to was he had been used to this very interactive environment and he felt alienated by it so yeah
3: um so i've had students be surprised when they visit schools that when they do challenge you know their assumptions a little bit. I had a student who really thought they'd be interested in a large public university um, that was in their state. And then when they went to visit the school, they realized that it's such an expansive campus that you actually do have to kind of take a bus between parts of the campus in order to get around. And and that was something that they might not have noticed unless they had gone for a visit. So I think that those visits, you know, hopefully public health-wise, we can keep doing those visits and uh, but they're so important to kind of uh, just see the the many varieties of colleges that are mm-hmm. uh, available. Mm-hmm.
1: And even get a nice visual on the student body, like mm-hmm. try and get a sense of whether this is going to feel comfortable to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I know that when people are watching this, they're like, well, what about the major? It's all about the major and the academics. And I'm like, right. absolutely. But so many good colleges in this country that you almost don't need right. to worry about that. Like, it's kind yeah. of the first thing that everybody worries about. Um, I was on the phone with a mother, um, a mother and her student, her daughter today. And they were like, well, can you give us a list of the best free med colleges? And I said, mm-hmm. that no. would be <laughs> a couple thousand. Like, there's just so many right. good options that what you need to do is it's great that you like biology. You're going to really need to narrow it down by other things because most colleges have biology mm-hmm. and if they have it, they do a good job at it. Yep. So these are the other things, you know, look at the culture, look at these other things. And I know that it was very kind of confusing to this family. Mm-hmm. Like they thought they could just narrow it down through pre-med and biology. Right. right. So,
3: right. Yeah. 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 And I think that that, um, you know, I, I did a study in the admissions office that I worked in and where we looked to see how many students actually declared a major that was what they had put on their admissions application. Um, and we found out that 75% of our students changed their mind. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think it was, it was, you know, for one particular small liberal arts college, but I think that that's pretty, um, normal for students to, you know, change their mind in college. And, to you know, I went into college as a math major and came out as a psych major. So mm-hmm. um, I think you know, picking had I picked colleges only on their math departments, I probably would have you know then narrowed in too quickly and and uh, not looked at schools that that were a good personal fit for me. Um, but I would also say you know there are a few majors that are pretty particular that you're not going to find at every college, some things like physical therapy or aerospace engineering, or, you know, sometimes like really specialty areas like that. um, That if you have a strong interest, maybe you want to be looking at schools that have that as an option, Mm -hmm. but don't just evaluate the school based on that one program, because your experience, even if you major in that is going to be far more than just what classes are in your major. It's going to be the social life, the living experiences, Um, you know, what the curriculum is like, which is always astonishes me how many students will come back from tours and do research and things. And I'll say, so what's the curriculum like at the school that you like? And they, oh, I hadn't really looked at that. Like, well, that's actually like a major part of your college experience (laughs) is whether it's a pretty flexible and open curriculum or a very rigid curriculum that's set. So, you know, that's a good question to ask, maybe not major specific, but what else do I have to take? I think is is a really important question Mm -hmm. in that process.
1: Yeah, I think like what's this is part of where I think we're 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 always trying to educate families. It's not Mm -hmm. about good or bad. It's about is it a match for you? Does it fit you? And so you know, uh, University of Chicago is a great school. There's no question about it. Is it the right match for every student? I mean, huge core curriculum, very, very intellectual, shall we say, nerdy environment. It's just not going to be right for everybody. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, try and like look into I mean, I think looking into the academics is a really interesting thing to do because also not all majors are the same. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I talk to a lot of business majors who think the curriculum is going to be exactly the same from school to school. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, some are going to be very finance, accounting, sort of more math heavy. Others, you you take one math class and you're done and Mm -hmm. you can do more of almost a marketing focus. So think Mm -hmm. about who you are and what you want and then actually read through. Um, It's a lot of information, though, you know, like I really understand how that's tough. And I think that's why I always want students to start with some of those gut impressions too. Mm -hmm. like, like collect, collect the impressions. Like you said, I preferred Mm -hmm. this. I preferred this. Um, don't, don't use the example of my student where you decided like something was just terrible, but Mm -hmm. figure out what your preferences are and then start to try and like, talk to people to try and find out colleges that fit most of those. You're not going to have a perfect college. You may think it is, but you won't. No college is perfect. Just like no person is perfect. No college is perfect. Right. Right. Collect those impressions and then try and find the best matches for those.
3: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that um, thinking about it in that sort of way of uh, coming up with kind of your must-have part of your list, your Mm nice-to-have, and then kind of your deal-breakers. So are there things that um, you're sure that if they are on a campus, they're just not a fit for you? Um, Those are the deal-breaker kind of things. Um, And they have to be legitimate things, I've certainly had a number of students come back and say, you know, I didn't like what the tour guide was wearing and that's why I'm taking the college off the list. It's like, well, that's not really a reason to select or cross out a college is, you know, that one impression of that one particular student, although the the tour guide might be great. Um, But I think that, um, again, you know, looking at it more from the sort of bigger picture perspective, what did I like? What are things that were good? And and realizing that a school is not going to check every single box. You will have to have some compromises in that process. Um, mm-hmm. and, and thinking about what are those areas where you can compromise and what, areas, what are the areas where you really can't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on that list, I would say do think about selectivity of institutions. Mm-hmm. At the preliminary level, that doesn't need to be a primary focus. I think that mm-hmm. comes later. Um, but don't just, if you go to Boston, don't just visit Harvard and MIT, you know, Mm -hmm. visit. Um, and I mean, these days, Boston university, Boston college, there are there, you know, Northeastern, they're all highly selective, but Mm -hmm. maybe take a trip to Worcester and Mm -hmm. also visit college of Holy cross. If you like Boston college, you know, try and like diversify out. If you go to DC, don't just visit Georgetown, you know, visit GW, visit George Mason, Mm -hmm. maybe drive down to Richmond and visit University of Richmond, like try and Mm -hmm. don't just visit the schools that, um, you know, sort of everybody talks about all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I really do think it helps too when people realize, I mean, literally where what 4,000 colleges. Mm -hmm. um, And I think I would say that I personally know hundreds that are kind of amazing places. So keep that in mind and don't just visit the ones that pop up in every conversation. (laughs) Uh, That's one of the bigger things to do. The other thing that I was thinking, and I'm going to sort of piggyback on um, the conversation I just had with Lori is I do think it makes sense even preliminarily to have a really honest uh, conversation about finances. Mm -hmm. Not that you should say I'm not, we're not even visiting that college is too expensive because there might be scholarships, But have an honest conversation about what would be, what actually can be spent, you know?
3: Yeah, I think that that financial fit is important. Um, Having gone through this process very recently myself with my uh, now college freshman daughter, um, that was a conversation that we had pretty early on of, you know, your list is going to include a mix of some private schools, and we think you might get some merit scholarships at some of these private schools. Um, but it's also going to have some in-state public universities as well. And so thinking about it from uh, a financial fit is a good idea um, fairly early on in the process, but I would also say, um, you know, don't rule out a school just because of the sticker price um, in that there may be scholarships available. I've I've certainly talked to families who said, we're not looking at any private universities because they're just too expensive and Um, You know, I think my finance colleagues can talk more about that. But um, there are more opportunities there. But I think having uh, that conversation with your student fairly early on about, yes, affordability is going to be a part of this process, so that at the end of the process, and I've had this happen with lots of families, if one school, you know, comes out as $20,000 more than another school, and the and parents are sort of saying, okay, you need to go at this more to this more affordable option. It doesn't feel like a sudden, um, you know, sudden blindsiding of the student um, where they might have thought that that wasn't really a factor. Mm-hmm. So I think have those those conversations early on and ongoing in the process of not only what is the right personal, academic, social fit for the student, but also what's the right financial fit mm-hmm. for the family.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is sort of a tangent, but one of the things I actually have started recommending, um, with some families is set a set times when you'll talk about college. So the kid doesn't feel this, your student doesn't feel blindsided in general by Mm -hmm. constant discussions of colleges, um, set a particular time. And then you can talk about like all the different, the wonderful things, the harder things, Mm -hmm is the student getting their work done? Like have that, have that broader, um, you know, set a time to have that discussion, but don't waylay them with it when they're trying to get ready for school in the morning. Right, (laughs) Like it's a very stressful way to go about things. (laughs) Yes. So we've talked a lot about kind of initial, um, Research. Like, let's talk a little bit about how you would do that research. Like, we we mentioned visiting, mm-hmm. um, but what are some other options? Like, what are some things to look for when you're visiting and when you're mm-hmm. kind of just,
3: you know, in other ways when you can't visit as well? I would say use the resources that the school has on their website and on their social media channels. Um, you know, sometimes even just looking up uh, clubs, you know, different clubs at the school and their Instagram pages is is helpful to kind of see. Uh, you know, sort of the vibrancy of some of their activities. Um, But I would also say, you know, when you visit the campus, if you can visit, try and go on an official tour, information session if available, but also talk to some folks, not just with the admissions office, if you can, uh, you know, get a coffee at the local coffee shop, strike up some conversations with some students as well. Um, But there are other third-party kind of websites that I would recommend. Um, I like, uh, you know, the College Board has a pretty good college search engine called Big Future. Um, there's one called College Navigator, which is through the National Center for Education Statistics, um, and those can be good places to find out things like cost of attendance, graduation rates, retention rates, ethnic and gender breakdowns of a school. Um, some of those, some of that data can be helpful in kind of comparing different schools. Um, there are also other third-party, I would almost call them like college review sites, like like niche. Um, it's it's kind of like Yelp reviews for colleges. You know, there's going to be lots of good information if you look at it at a bigger picture level, but there's always going to be someone who, you know, just failed a final and gets on there grumpily and kind of types away about <laughs> how horrible the school is too. And so um, look at it kind of big picture as, as another resource, but um, you know, looking looking at all the pieces. Are there other things that you think of as as being good research research? Well, research I
1: research? actually think social media is great, like mm-hmm. uh, especially if you've got a student who's particularly interested interested in some kind of social activity, like mm-hmm. or extracurricular. Um, I worked with a student once who really. Um, you know, care deeply about community service. So I was like, well, there are some schools that are known for it, right? Mm -hmm. Like Marist, it's a huge part of the campus culture. And then some schools, every school does service, but it's not Mm going to be a passion of a huge percentage of the student body. I think social media and looking for clubs and then following those social media, seeing Mm -hmm. how active different organizations are can be a really good way um, to do it. You know, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So those will all give you, hopefully give everybody some ideas. Um, any last thing? I mean, I guess I would just say, it, especially in the opening days, like stay open, like mm-hmm. don't dismiss a college also because somebody like a friend of a friend said she didn't like it. Right. That person isn't you, right. right. You might be a totally different person. It may be perfect for you.
3: Yeah. And I would say my, my last advice to parents is Take a big piece of duct tape and stick it over your mouth on those (laughs) visits because what your impressions are of the college, which might be 25 or 30 years old from Mm -hmm. when you knew somebody who went there, um, might be very different than the current state of that school. So kind of let your student come to their own opinions and and thoughts about the school first before you discuss it as a family.
1: Yeah, just a closing comment. When I was applying to college, USC and NYU were safety schools mm-hmm. for me. Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. All right. Thank you so much, Mary Sue. Thanks for having me, Sally. All right, and thank you to Jamie Cialfo and Lori, uh, Lori Peltier. Um, be sure to tune in next week when Ian Fisher will be talking to Andrew Cohen, executive at LinkedIn. Um, about how high school students can best leverage and use LinkedIn when they're researching colleges. I'm pretty excited for this. Uh, I I actually want to like listen. I'm definitely going to listen in on this one. Um, He will then be answering listener questions with Shannon Vasconcelos from our finance team. And last, don't forget to listen in every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific.